And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I never fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not, ju will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Amen. You may have your seat as Pastor Todd comes. Happy Thanksgiving. Now, what, what's going on? Let's try this one more time. Happy Thanksgiving. All right. Oh, thank you. Good gravy. A oh, good gravy. See what I did there? Hey, oh, let's keep going. That was a bad joke. That was a dad joke right there. Thank God for uh, Pastor Joshua. Uh, Pastor Joshua, I'm going to help you as you continue to, um, what's the word I'm going to look for? Uh, uh, mature is a good word for it. Uh, get acclimated. You know you have a youth pastor when the, when the guy comes with a pair of jeans into the pulpit. So praise God for that. I, I love the jeans. Uh, I'm grateful for Pastor Joshua. Uh, Joshua, did you see any of the um, items that you requested down there? Chicken and dumplings? Oh, there's still time. There's still time. All right. Well, I'm glad that y'all are here. Thank you for being here. Again, we will uh, get to the service. We're going to do uh, the, the meal a little backwards. We're going to start with the dessert. This is the best part this morning. Amen. So we're going to start with the dessert uh, to, to go get the appetizer here in just a few moments. We will be in Luke chapter 18. We're coming to the end of this uh, series called Jesus Stories. We just looked through a few parables that Jesus spoke about. And it's one of those moments when I've prepared a long in advance for this, and we taught about this on Wednesday. I'm going to teach again on it, uh, but for a moment, just turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, because as you can see this morning, it is about prayer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18 says this. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. You see, the bread of that passage is this, it's to uh, really give worship to God. So be in thanksgiving uh, on one end of it, and it's to give uh, rejoice on the other end. But sandwiched in the middle are these three words, pray without ceasing. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I read those three words, and every time a, a conviction falls over me. 
I don't know about you, I'm not a great man of prayer. Am I the only one in the room? Like, I'll be in the moment of praying, and then I'll wake up at 6.30 when my alarm goes off. Like, I'm like, what happened? Or I'll be in prayer, and all of a sudden, my mind will be thinking about something totally different. It's like i got to fight and struggle and, and wade through the mud to stay focused as I continue to go and plead with God. I get so distracted. I don't know about you. So I want to talk about that this morning. And Jesus tells this parable about this this morning. Now, the context of this prayer is about one thing and one thing only. Don't miss what the context is. If we can read these words in Luke chapter 18, he told a parable in effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And we can assume that that means that in general, just as you pray, don't lose heart. But this is where the passage for me gets even more convicting. Because of where Jesus put the passage. Now, you got to know about chapter 17 to understand chapter 18. How often do we come to God's word and it's like, man, I'll jump to chapter 1, I'll jump to chapter 5, I'll jump to chapter 17. It's just kind of like ali ali oxen free. Or the way we used to do it in grammar school was this. We had your choose your own adventure books. You remember those? You get done with a page and say, hey, you can turn to this page or that page. And every way you turned, there was a new ending. That's not true in God's word. God's word has, has a systematic way that it has been written. And so we come to chapter 18, verse 1, and, and we hear the words pray. We are always to pray, but it's sandwiched in this idea about Christ's ultimate return. And so he's going to point us in this passage of, in particular, how we praying for Christ's return. It's this idea of we're waiting for the not yet as we're in the yet. Like we're waiting for something, but how do we live as we wait for something? Anyone else like get anxious about that? I, I'm still having, I, don't, I mean, maybe I need to, uh, I mean, I still go to therapy, but maybe I need to start talking with my therapist about this ongoing dream that I have. And the ongoing dream that I have is I wake up in a panic in the middle of the night thinking I failed a test. I'm done with grad school. Like, I don't, I'm not going back to school. There ought to be no fear about grad school, but there's this anticipation that happens and happened all through grad school that stuck with me. I would have major test anxiety. Anyone else? Like, I can know all the material, but when I sat down, it's like my brain just like... And I was looking at words, I'm like, man, I, I must not have studied. But I, I live with that tension. And I even live in that tension when it comes to my reality with God's kingdom. Like, I know the passage. I know Matthew. I know the prayer that God's will be done on heaven as it is in earth. I know there's some longing in me that's desiring to get to heaven but I don't know how to live in the present with that. Like if I know what's coming, ought I to live at 
peace because I know what's coming. But I don't, I live with anxiousness, even with the assurance of knowing what's coming. It's not a mystery of what's going to happen. Like my eternal reality is not a mystery to me, and I hope it's not a mystery to you. Now, if it's a mystery to you, you ought to live with anxiety. Like if there's in this moment as you sit here today and you don't, you don't have confidence in your assurance of your salvation, my hope is that you do live with some anxiety. Like you would say, I, I don't know what's going to happen. But Jesus is going to talk to us, the believer, about that person that has the anxiety about the future. And it's our responsibility, not their responsibility to pray. It's not the responsibility of the unbeliever to pray. It's the responsibility of the one who is to pray. We have our prayer life and direct access to God. And this is where it gets super convicting. Is my prayer life, when it comes to lost people, profound? Deep? Do I have an anxiousness for them that would drive me to my knees? For them. So with that in mind, this is the passage. And Jesus said to his disciples, remember, this is his disciples. He's not talking to the Pharisees. He's not talking to the religious leaders. He's talking to the men that have walked with him for three years and seen many miracles. And he knows something about the heart of man Because he created the heart of man. So he already knows I'm going to have to speak into places of their anxiety. And he's looking into the eyes of those 12 men and he sees some level of anxiety in them and says, hey, let me tell you a parable about your anxiety. He says this, you ought to pray and not lose heart. So there's two commands that he tells us before he even gets to the parable. You know how most parables end with the solution? He begins with the solution. Like most of the time when Jesus is giving parable, it's like, oh, like where's this thing going? Jesus is like, let me tell you what I'm about to tell you. I'm going to give you the answer to what I'm going to tell you. So I want you to pray and not lose heart. Now, that's my hope and challenge for us this morning, that we would pray and not lose heart. But we first got to ask ourselves this question. Do we pray first? It's the first question you got to answer. If the answer is no to that, I'd say start there. If the answer is yes, then I would say, what is it that we lose heart for in our prayer life? So I want to talk about that first command that we are to pray with two parts, to pray and not lose heart. We have to ask ourselves, what am I not praying for and what am I losing heart for and over? The first would be this. How often do we not pray and our prayer life reveal our self-sufficiency? I want you to just think for a moment when you've had some of those intimate moments of prayer. It's probably not when things are going great. 
It's probably when you're at the moment of the end of your self-sufficiency. Like you've done all you know you could do and the outcome hasn't changed. And so I think our lack of prayer really shows us our self-sufficiency. Like I know we can say all day long we believe that God is sovereign and in control and has all power. We can say that all day. But if your prayer life doesn't reveal that, then it reveals where your heart is. And again, we don't have a mind problem. We have a heart problem. Your mind is not your problem. That thing inside of you that has the eternal angst in you, that is the problem. That is what Jesus is talking about. So I would say first to you and for me. We're going to get to this in the way of application. Our prayer life will show our proper view of God. What you truly believe to be true about God, you can attach it right to your prayer life. Because self-sufficiency is driven by you having a God complex and me having a God complex. That I think I'm God, therefore I don't need God, therefore I'll meet all of my needs. Until we get to the end of ourselves and we realize, man, I can't meet that need. I I can't change where my marriage is at. I I can't change my finances. I can't change my cancer. I can't, on and on you go. And it's in that moment that you are going to be driven to your knees to pray to a God that you've always said you believed could do all things. But we don't often start there, do we? And that's what God is going to reveal to us. The next thing I think he says this, so that that addresses the prayer. But then the next thing he says to us, and it's a command, it's not a suggestion, it's not an idea. He says, and as you pray, don't lose heart. Now, how many of us in the room pray, but we lose heart? Again, it's going to reveal to us what we believe to be true about God. We often lose heart because we don't trust in God's timing. Because you and I would answer the question right away. Like if your kid comes to you and asks of a great need, isn't your first desire to answer it immediately? And so there's something in us that wants to put that onto God. And so we bring our petitions to God, and God doesn't answer us how and when and where we want Him to answer that, so we lose heart, which goes back to it's my way, not His way. And Jesus, being Jesus, is telling His disciples, I get that, I understand that. And you're going to see after chapter 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, Jesus is now going to model for them what it means to pray and not lose heart. Because remember what happens, and you can, you can go to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is when Jesus, you, you think of anyone that ever walked the planet wouldn't need to pray? It would have been him. How come? He was the son of God. In other words, he was God. Now, unless God wants to talk to himself, but Jesus is going to model for them what it looked like for him to live in his own humanity of that 
anxiousness. Again, we know, like everyone says, we, we read that verse, don't be anxious. You realize Jesus was anxious? We, he was so anxious that when he prayed, his, his blood vessels in his head popped and he started dripping out blood. Like that's anxiousness. That's not because he didn't trust. He was just so in the moment of like, man, I don't want this moment to be true for me. That was his prayer. You know that, right? We read it. It's like cute, like put it on a mug, like go uh, stitch it and put it on a, the, the, you know, a picture where, where he's praying. And he, he says, take this cup from me. That was a moment of him like praying earnestly to God in that moment. And then chapter 17 of John, we see him praying earnestly for his people. We see the moment before, after that, when he's going into Jerusalem, that he weeps as he prays over people. So he's going to model to us what it means to pray and not lose heart. So, when you read the Gospels, I want you to look at all the places where it talks about Jesus praying. And he already knew the answer. And yet he was dependent not on himself. He was dependent on his God, his Father. Will that be true of us? He says, so there's what this parable is about. Hey, pray and not lose heart. Now he gives the actual parable in verses Two, three, four, and five. I'll read that. Jesus said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while the judge he refused, but afterwards he, the judge, said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because of this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that. She will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, and then we'll finish the passage in verse 6. There's two main characters in this story. These two characters are simply this. There's a judge and there's a widow. Now remember, every time that we come to a parable, Jesus is telling in a heavenly, uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So we have to ask ourselves, who are we in the parable? And who is he in the parable? Every story, every parable re reveals God and us. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, who is God and who are we? Now it's pretty black and white. God is the judge. Now if you misread the passage and you come and say God is the judge, then you'll read the passage with blinders on your eyes and heart because it's like, if God is judged, then how is it that this God or this judge is this wicked and mean? So what Jesus is going to do, he's going to do what we would call a compare and contrast. So he's going to set the stage up for this wicked, wicked, wicked judge and then point us to how God is exactly the opposite of that, but he's setting the stage. I want you to see what God isn't so I can show you what God is. 
So that's the first character in the story. There is a judge. He's a wicked judge. Now, in this day and age, two things had to be true about judges. If they were going to judge, they had to, and you see this in the Old Testament, they had to fear God and respect man. It's what Jesus said in the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others the way you love yourself. And this judge that's been set up by God doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Like the very thing that he's in office to do, he's doing the exact opposite. And so it reveals to us the heart of this man isn't for other people. The heart of this man is for himself. That's the first character that we have. So he's a wicked judge. He does not care. He is not just. He is not kind. I want you to hear all those words. In a moment, Jesus is going to reveal to us how God is those things. But I wonder how often we come to God not believing those things to be true about God. Like we would come to God like he is this wicked judge. He's not kind. He's not caring. He's not compassionate. He's not merciful. He's not just. He's not loving. He's not caring. Now again, I, I, I believe that we know that's not true about God. But our prayer life will reveal to us what's true about God's character. There's one thing to know about God. Hear me when I say this. There's one thing to know about God. That is not the same thing as knowing God. Like I could sit up here and tell you all the, the greatest things about the greatest basketball player to ever live. And it's not LeBron James, you millennials. It is the GOAT, MJ. I could tell you all of his stats. I could tell you where he grew up. I could tell you everything about him. But I don't know that man, and that man doesn't know me. And I wonder how often we know about God, but we don't really know him. And I guarantee you this, if you don't know him, he's not going to know you. It's called an intimate relationship. How sad would it be if I came up here and told you everything about Jenny? And I was like, yeah, but there's no intimacy there. You'd be like, man, that's a bad marriage. Like, I didn't really, like, I knew about her. I knew she has black hair. I knew she has blue eyes. I knew she's from Norway, South Carolina. But I didn't know her heart. I didn't know the things that, about her that made her tick. I, I didn't know her desires, her longings. If I told you that's the kind of marriage I'd have, I'd be, you'd be like, ah, that's not the marriage I'd want. And if it's the marriage you want, Come find me. I'll give you my business card. We can sit down for a session. I promise it's not the marriage you want. And that is what Jesus is saying to us about this judge. How often we know about God, but we don't truly know God. And then that's the first character of the story. The second one is this. He says, there was a widow in the city. That widow kept coming to him over and over and over again, asking for justice from this adversary of hers. Here's what we know to tr be true about widows. 
Widows were poor, helpless, and very, very subjected to harm. See, see in that day and age, uh, the, the, the freedoms that females had were super limited. Like it, it was not, they were not looked at in society as a part of society. That they couldn't even go into the court of law to give testimony. And so they needed somebody, a male in their life, to be their adversary, to be the one that stood for them, that protected them, that provided for them. They were really, really, really needy people. And what happened is somewhere in this woman's journey, her protector, her husband died. She's a widow. So now she's got no protection. And so she's going to the only place that can provide her protection, which is the court of law. And even the one that's supposed to be there for her isn't protecting her. But what we see to be true about this lady is this. Though she was poor, though she was helpless, though she was needy, though she was in harm's way, there's some characteristic that she understood about herself. She couldn't do for her what she needed someone else to do for her. And therefore, it drove her to be what is the title of the passage, persistent. But her persistency was driven by her neediness. That someone would do for her what she simply could not do for herself. And she understood that. And so those are the two characters in the passage. And it says that this lady and her persistency came day in, day in and day out, begging this judge that neither feared God nor respected man. But in his, her persistency, it did something to this judge and he gave her justice. And again, if you read the passage, he, he gave in to her demands for himself. He's like, I'm tired of getting beat down. You ever done that with your kids? Like, you're like, I'm staying strong. I'm going to stay strong from their demands. And anyone else like, man, I, it's like by, the, like by, I mean, that starts at 8 and by like 8.05, you're like, man, I'm just flat worn out. I can't do this. Am I the only dad in the room? Like, thank God. And you look at your watch like, oh, man, I got to 12 more hours to do this. I might as well just give in. It would be easier. That's what this woman was doing. And so he wasn't giving in for her. He was giving in for himself, often like we do with our children. But then Jesus says, let me show you now the application to the parable. Verse 6, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge did or said. And then he says this, let me show you what's true about God. He says in verse 7, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he, God, will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, these are a few questions right in a row. 
where they're not a question because of a misunderstanding. It, it does, it's not, they're not questions for Jesus that we have to answer and give an answer to Jesus. Jesus is asking that of ourselves because he knows what is true about God. He says, will, will not God give justice to his elect? What he's saying is, God will give justice to his elect. God will do these things. I promise you that. And so the two applications that we have to circle back to from the beginning is this. What is your view of who God is? What do you believe to be true about the attributes of God? Just a handful this morning about what is true about God in this text. The first is this. God really does care about you. Right? He's showing us that this unrighteous judge did not care about this woman. But he's doing that to set up how much God really cares about us. Look to the cross and to the cross alone of how much he cares about you. That he'd give his greatest gift, his son, to you. Because he cares about you. And on and on and on we could go about all the ways that God cares for you and I. But if that's the only way he cares about us, that's enough. So the first is that he cares about us. The second thing when it comes to prayer is that God never delays. Now, do you believe that? Doesn't it often feel like God is delaying? Like how often are we really coming to God like a genie in the bottle more than like God? I come with this request. He answers it the way I want and how. And what Peter says in his epistle is, God's timing is not our timing. What is a thousand years to us is not a thousand years to him. But how often does it feel that way? He never delays. And here's the reason he never delays. Because every answer to our prayer is for our good. Even the no's. I didn't get too many amens on that one. But as we bring our petitions before God, I guarantee this. You will get no's. It's our no's that we receive that we feel like God doesn't care. But here's the deal about God. He can do something you and I can't do. He sees all things at all times. So he's not withholding for you because he's against you. He's withholding for you for your good. Now hindsight's 2020 in that perspective, is it not? I can look back in my life where God said no to things. I'm like, man, thank God he said, thank God God said no to that. Like, whew, saved my bacon on a lot of occasions. But in that moment, I was like, man, just give me what I want. And give it to me now. Because even what I'm asking for, 
It's not that bad. It's not even that selfish. And you're the one that gave me the desire. Like, God gave me the desire to be a pastor. I didn't wake up one morning and was like, man, you know what I want to do? I want to give my life to church for the rest of my life. I didn't wake up with that thought. That was not what I woke up wanting to do with my life. But over a course of time, God began to put that desire in my life. And in that desire being in my life, I began to pray for that. And God granted me that. Now, I've said this from this pulpit before. Then God put a desire in my heart to be a therapist. And God gave me that. But when he gave me that, you know what he took from me? To be a pastor. I wasn't able to be a pastor again for a season. And then there was this angst in my soul. Like, God, I want both. You gave me both. So why don't you give me both or take one of those desires away? Because I didn't sign up for either one of these. Like, this is not what I wanted to do with my life. And it was about three years of not doing pastoral ministry. And I had opportunities to go do that. But I get to, like, that last moment, and then it seemed like God was just slamming the door in my face. Anyone ever felt like that? You're like, man, like, there's the door. i got to take three more steps, and I get through the door, and you get to the door, and it, like, smacks you in the nose. I'm the only one. And then God opened the door to Powell's Chapel Baptist Church for me. And I can look back now eight years later and be like, man, thank God of all those places he shut the door right in my face. Because I wouldn't be here. And what God has done in me, being the pastor here, you will never know. He's done more in me than he's done through me here. I believe that with all my heart. But it took him saying no to a lot of those places. I look back at my relationships. Thank God he said no to some of those girls. I'm, I'm sure they're saying that now too. Like, man, thank God I didn't marry Todd. But I can be like, man, all that pushed me towards Jenny. I'm grateful for that. But in the moment, that no was painful. And maybe you're in that moment now. It feels like God is saying no to you in some things. But do you believe those no's or weights are for your good? Which brings us now to a proper view of yourself. There is only one reason and one reason only that we have prayer. It's for us to know that we're not God. So my question to you, do you believe that you're not God? If you're not God, that means you're two things. You're super needy and you're super dependent. Remember who Jesus said to his disciples that he wanted to come to him? Let all the children come to me. What are children? They don't give you a whole lot but a headache. I mean, I love my kids and all, but man, 
am I the only dad? I mean, I'm just being honest this morning, right? But he has who he says. He, he gets on his knee, and, and he says, let all those who are needy and dependent come sit on my lap. That hasn't changed. What does he call us? His children. Are we going to God like children? Needy, dependent, and here's the last one. Please be persistent. That is what Jesus is telling us to be like in this passage. Will you be needy? Will you be dependent? And will you be persistent in your prayer life? Let me close this in prayer.